worship you and get it right and, and repent and get renewed and restored and, and go back out and be a witness for you. God, just thank you and praise you for that. I just pray for all the folks that are dealing uh, with COVID and, and everybody associated with that. Lord, pray specifically for, for Peanut Terman and, and for DJ Stoneman, God, that's dealing with it directly. God, I just pray that, that we would respect it. I pray that we would uh, that we would be good stewards of our body and and I pray that, Lord, that we would just uh, understand that, that you're in control, Lord. And uh, just pray for Joe uh, this morning, God. I pray that you would just fill him up. Uh, I pray that you would just uh, give him the words to say. I pray that uh, we would just be able to uh, open our hearts to receive what, uh, what your word has for us this morning, God. Just challenge each other, exhort each other, edify, uh, restore. Uh, Lord, just uh, chasten whatever we need, Lord. I pray that we would be willing and acceptive of it and for all the folks that have unspoken requests lord i know i have them and uh, just just be with those needs and and they know what they are specifically god just thank you that you are a god that 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 wants uh, wants to hear our requests and our our prayers uh from us lord just thank you for the day i pray that we would just do everything for your honor and your glory bless our service in jesus name i pray amen all right Took his coat off. We're in trouble. That's Sunday school. <laughs> yeah, taking off the, whoa, hey, that thing. Whew, all right. Well, that's different. Well, I hope y'all don't mind me uh, being unspiritual and taking my jacket off for Sunday school, but I'm rather hot-natured. I didn't know if you knew this or not, but <clears throat> I'm not a little fella, and uh, <laughs> I used to be. It didn't last long, um, <laughs> but uh, I get I get hot pretty easy, and so uh, even when I'm teaching, but anyways, um, I'm grateful just to be here today, and I'm going to go ahead and start this morning off right by embarrassing my wife. Uh, she's over there. <laughs> no, I shouldn't do that. But she is uh, my beautiful wife over there, Cammy. Um, she answers to anything that sounds like Amy, and uh, she, she's just, uh, she's really, she's the one that takes care of me. So she knows what's, uh, what's happening with everything and uh, takes care of us, and, and uh, she's really the brains in the operation. Um, clearly, I, I don't have the, the brains. I got the brawn. And uh, she's got the good looks and all that stuff. But uh, we met in Bible college. Um, she got her music education degree. I got my uh, bachelor's in biblical studies. We met down in Winston-Salem. And uh, we got married and all that stuff and happily ever after. And fast forward all that. Now, here we are today. <laughs> That's my introduction. Uh, just a little bit about uh, me. But uh, there's a whole lot more to get to know me. I'm your average Joe. Um, what you see is what you get. You're not going to get a whole lot else. And, uh, but I'm just thankful to be here with you guys today. And uh, before anything else, I want to go ahead and uh, open us up in prayer. And as I pray, uh, you can pray too, but uh, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 5. We're going to be Deuteronomy chapter 5 this morning. I do promise I'm going to try to teach and not preach, but sometimes my teaching's a little preachy. So Deuteronomy chapter number 5 this morning. And uh, uh, we're going to go ahead and uh, pray. And then we're going to be looking and focusing uh, verse 1 through 6, and we might get through 7, and we might just keep on rolling through. Who knows? But let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time. Lord, we're grateful for the opportunity to gather in your house to worship you, to praise you. And Lord, now as we gather and open up your word, I pray, Lord, that you would uh, reveal yourself to us, Lord, that we would know you more, that we would grow in grace and knowledge of you. Father, that our hearts would be stirred, and Lord, that we would be drawn uh, together, Lord, as we worship you. And Lord, that you might receive the glory as you reveal yourself now through this scripture. We thank you and praise you now for who you are, for what you've done, and for what you're going to do today. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. I want to go ahead and read for us uh, Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy is the second law giving. Uh, you guys are pretty familiar, of course, with this passage. A lot of times Deuteronomy is about where you make it to in the reading the Bible through a year, and then you end up stopping. Uh, so it's not a good thing. We want to get into Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is an incredibly important book of the Bible. It is not just retelling the Ten Commandments, but it is retelling the story of Israel, how God had delivered them, what God was doing in them and through them. And really, if we're honest with ourselves today, some of the greatest things that you and I can do, even and especially when we gather as the body of Christ, is to look back at what God has done for us. Uh, as we look back at what God has done for us, we see what he's doing for us today, and we see what he's promised to do tomorrow. Now, the nation of Israel was called by God, chosen by God. Uh, he had called Abraham, and of course, that followed with the covenant leading on through Isaac and Jacob and all the way down through the line. So today, I want to look here as we find Moses and the children of Israel are attempting to get into the promised land. This is the second attempt. They have been on the doorstep before, but the last time, uh, God said, hey, go on in. The water's fine. It's going to be great. Perfect. I've already promised you a land flowing with milk and honey, and, and it's, it couldn't be any better. It truly was the promised land then. However, they sent in some spies, and of course, 10 of them come back and say, oh, we're scared, right? And the other two say, oh, no, it's fine. God's going to deliver us. He said he would. But in that, that spirit of rebellion led the children of Israel to wander for many, many years. And throughout that, what would happen is a whole generation would end up passing away. Not because of old age, but rather because of their sin, rather because of their rebellion towards God. And so I want to look here now, verse number one, what is happening is chapter five is the beginning of Moses' second sermon. Moses was a preacher and a teacher. He preached and taught the law to the children of Israel. And now in the book of Deuteronomy really is set up as three large sermons. And this is the second large, this is the second sermon and it is the largest one where he is retelling the law uh, to this newer generation. It says in verse number one, and Moses called all Israel and said unto them, Hear, O Israel, statutes and judgments which I speak in your ears this day, that ye may learn them and keep them and do them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. The Lord made not his covenant with our fathers, but with us, even us, who are all of us here alive this day. I want to stop there for just a, a couple minutes. This morning we, of course, find in verse number one, Moses calls all of Israel. All of Israel, not just a handful of people, not just the elders, not just the young people, but he gathers all that are there. He needs them to hear what God has to say. And truly, that's our desire for church, is it not? It's that all would gather together to hear not what Moses has to say, but what God has to say. Moses is not going to be speaking from his own wisdom, which if anyone could speak from wisdom, it's certainly Moses. He grew up in the best of schools. Uh, he said that he had a stuttering issue in a, a time of where he couldn't speak as good. He tried to give every excuse in the book to God, but yet God still used him. Moses could have used his own power, his own might, his own strength, but instead what Moses does is he says, Hear, O Israel, not what I say, but what the Lord says. He says the statutes and judgments. The statutes and judgments which I speak in your ears this day, that you may learn them and keep them and do them. What is he saying? He's saying, I need you to hear the law of God. This is a new generation, even a younger generation to some degree. The older generation had passed away due to rebellion. God had told them because of their sinfulness that they would not make it out of the wilderness. And through their constant rebellion, there would be times they would be following God. Things were great, of course. But there were a whole lot of lows where they had stopped following God. And ultimately, many of them would die. A whole generation passed away because of their sinfulness. So what Moses understands and recognizes, 
is the same thing that God has called them to do. And that is to now pass on this command, to pass on the law of God, God's word, to a new generation. The reason why we have youth groups or Sunday schools or, or vacation Bible school or anything like that is for the very same reason that Moses is doing this here. It is that there is always another generation that needs to hear the word of God. There is every single soul in this world needs to hear the word of God. But it is our responsibility as those who have learned the law of God and learned his word and learned to keep it, learned to, to not just hear it, but to do it, to live out his word. It is our job, role, and responsibility to pass it on. What we find is that this was going to be key in the nation of Israel's history. As you know, if you keep on reading the Old Testament, what you find is you'll have a good generation of, of believers in Israel. They're following the law. They're following after God. They're worshiping in the tabernacle or the temple later on. They have a good king. They throw down all the altars and all the, the pagan deities, and everyone is doing good. And the land is prosperous, and God blesses them. But then what happens? The next generation comes, and oftentimes what we find in Israel's history is they have a good king, but then his son, it says, and his son, such and such, was reigning, and he did that which was evil in the sight of God. And then the next king did that which was right in the sight of God over and over and over again. This is why they have the ups and the downs. And if we're honest with our own hearts today, as we just see here, it's the reason why we have our own ups and downs, right? Much like Brother Stephen repenting of how we lived this week, and I don't even need to know the details, right? But when we think about this, we have the ups and downs because we bring these things about with ourselves. The Lord desires to bring us into a promised land. The Lord desires what is good for his people. However, his people, and myself more so than probably others, are far too stubborn to just receive what God desires. Now, in this, Moses says, I want you to know the statutes and the judgments. We have another modern-day way of saying that. He wants the children of Israel, this nation, this new generation, to know doctrine. Doctrine is not something that often unites. It is often something that divides. There are church splits over doctrine, and, and, and there is some doctrine worth dying on. There are some hills not worth dying on, but there are some hills of doctrine that we must die upon, and that's what Moses is giving to them. He's saying, I'm going to give you what you need to know for the rest of your life. Now, if we put out on a sign saying, come inside a church and I'm going to tell you all that you need to know for the rest of your life, we might have a few people show up. <laughs> However, there probably few, be a few people who go, ah, no, it's the same old, same old. If this generation here, as they're hearing Moses preach, could have the same response, but he's about to address something more than just their head. He's addressing their heart. He says, I want you to hear the statutes and judgments which I speak in your ears this day, that ye may learn them and keep them and do them. The heart of man is wicked. The heart of man is going to run far from God. However, what we need and the desire of every preacher, the desire of every believer should be that the word of God would affect not just our minds, where our ears come in, right? Our sound comes through the ears, goes to the mind. We need it to go to the heart and then to the body. It is the mind, the heart, and the will, the hands of men. That's the way it flows. Oftentimes, and really what religion teaches and false religions teach is the opposite. That man has to do something to have a good heart and to have a clean mind. Rather, it's the opposite. God does his work from the inside out. In this, he says, I want you to know the law of God that you would not just learn it, but keep it and do it. James later goes on to say that you'd not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Then he says in verse number two, the Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. Now, God is a God of covenant. The word covenant is that of cutting. It is that of promise. 
during those times, there would have to be a shedding of blood for a covenant, and that uh, it was the sign showing that this promise that we're making today, it is unto death, right? This is why we say the covenant of marriage, right? Till death do us part. And this is why with every other promise, right, a pinky promise, right, that thing's locked on forever, right? You, you got to. Now, this promise goes all the way back, not just to Horeb, which is uh, another word for the Mount Sinai, where, they gave, where God gave the Ten Commandments the first time. But we trace God's covenant all the way back to the Garden of Eden. We trace it to uh, the time where he calls Abraham, and he puts Abraham in a deep sleep. And in that time, God walks the covenant walk. It makes an unconditional, everlasting covenant with Abraham and all of his descendants. Well, who is now Moses talking to? Abraham's descendants, the receivers of God's promise, the receivers of the Abrahamic covenant. How do they receive it? By faith and by the Lord continuing to work with his children of uh, Israel. And he's still working with them today. He's still certainly not done. As a matter of fact, if we understand Bible prophecy, it's not dealing with just America, as we like to think, but rather it's dealing about Israel and the world. It is the center of all these things taking place. So when he says that the Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb, it is a reminder of what the past generation had seen. Now you can go back and you can look at the scene, uh, what takes place there in Exodus on Mount Sinai. God comes down, he consumes the entire mountain in a cloud of, of fire and smoke. It, he's descending and ascending upon it and up and down, and he literally consumes it all with his holiness and all of his character, all of who he is. He orders Moses to come up, and he says, tell those people that they better not touch this mountain or try to come up through the cloud to see me lest they perish and I destroy them. It had become a holy place because he was giving his holy word, which is to be established forever. And what Moses is about to do is go back over and retell the Ten Commandments. As you guys know, throughout the years we've watched as our nation has taken Ten Commandments out of schools, courts, and if we understand this, the Ten Commandments truly are the basis and the foundation of how our governing system operates, how our judicial system is supposed to operate. It is everything that is right and just. The reason why we're in the shape that we're in is because we have gotten away from the statutes and judgments of God. Now, verse number three. The Lord made not this covenant with our fathers. Of What Moses is saying here is he had made a covenant with them, but he's saying even with us, who are all of us here alive this day. What often happens is people believe that you can inherit some sort of salvation or inherit faith. There are probably grandparents in here today who don't have children or grandchildren in church. There are, I know, talking to friends and family and even at my home church, uh, we have people who, children did not, they grew up in church, no longer in church. Grandchildren, not in church. And you go, well, it's more important, less about the church and more about growing them in Christ. What happens is if, we think or begin to think that our children or grandchildren will somehow just inherit our faith or values, we've missed it all. Clearly what has happened over the past three, two, three generations is it has dropped off. And I'm a product of that. Very few in my generation of the 25 to 40 years old, right? Very few are truly in church. The numbers and the statistics are absolutely staggering. And if we look around today, to be honest, I'm thankful that there are some younger faces. And there are some younger faces. And, and uh, you know, when we look at this, this is who Moses is talking to. Because they need the law. And he's addressing their hearts to say that God did not just make this with your fathers, and so it's, not point, it's now pointless for you. He's saying he's making it with us today as well. We often miss something in church, and that is we think that the service or the sermon is always for somebody else. 
Moses is addressing here, it's for you today. If you are alive and if you are here today, this is for you. This scripture is always there for you. Every message, every song, every everything, it is all there for us. The New Testament goes on to tell us in 2 Timothy about the all of Scripture is inspired by God. It's profitable for doctrine, for correction, for reproof, for instruction and in righteousness. All of it. And that's what Moses is addressing this younger generation here today. Verse number 4 says, The Lord talked with you face to face in the mount of the midst of the fire. Now, to see God on that mountain should have been enough to get the children of Israel to completely obey him. And most of the time, what we often fall under the trap of is that we want to see signs from God. You know what John the Baptist and Jesus would say to the people that desired signs and wonders? He would call them a wicked and perverse generation, even a brood of vipers. Why? Because they desired what they could see, feel, taste, touch, rather than faith. Now, we don't have blind faith. Our faith is based upon the facts and revelation of God, how he has worked in us and through us. We're not walking by blind faith. We are walking by faith that sees God perfectly through his word and his law. But what he says here is he reminds them that God had met and talked with you and given you this law already by his holiness, by his counsel, by his character, by all of who he is. And truly the law is a representation of who God is. It is a manifestation of his goodness and we often think the law just binds, and certainly we were at one point bound by the law before the Lord delivered us by his grace. But even God giving his law is an act of his grace and goodness that points us as a schoolmaster to Christ. Now look at verse 5. This is important. When we understand Moses, look at verse 5. It says, I stood between the Lord. Excuse me. I stood between the Lord and you at that time to show you the word of the Lord. For ye were afraid by reason of the fire, and went not up into the mount. They had every reason to be afraid. And now, the last time I was here was on a Tuesday. We kind of talked about that. They had a reason to fear God because of his holiness. There is a, a terrible thing that has taken place in the church today that we have lost that holy fear of who God is. The Bible still tells us, Old and New Testament alike, that our God is a consuming fire. This is why our sin, not the sin of others, should bother. The sin of others certainly bothers our hearts, right? We, it breaks our hearts. But if the sin of others bothers us more than our own sin, then we've missed the point of who God is and what God has done. In this, what he says, I stood between the Lord and you. Moses acts as a mediator. And the law acted as a mediator. But the great thing is that what this verse does is it points to the great mediator that we find in Hebrews the book of Hebrews goes on to talk about one specific person. That is the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the perfect mediator. The perfect mediator in the sense that he is operating and always has operated as prophet, priest, and king on behalf of his people to redeem them from their sins because they cannot go to God directly. Right? As a matter of fact, Jesus would say, uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. He is the one mediator. A mediator is needed between people that are at odds with each other, are at enmity with each other, are enemies of each other. What we don't even realize, even if you grew up religious, if you were still in your sin and not born again, you were an enemy of God. You may not have understood that. However, everything in your body, everything in your flesh went against him and his word, even in all of your goodness. And so this is why Christ must come to be a mediator, to bring and to reconcile, to bring re redemption and reconciliation to us because we cannot get to God. And so it's God that must come to us. And that's what God did on that mountain. God came to them. 
And God brought the law to them. He says in verse 6, this is what God, this is Moses repeating what God had told them. Now this is key. I am the Lord. That could be enough. But he says, I am the Lord, thy God. Now, God is a providential God. He is sovereign, ruling over all of his creation. Why? Because he made it. It belongs to him. All things in the universe belong to God. There's not a single rogue molecule in the world, as R.C. Sproul would would talk about. There's not a single thing that happens, not even the smallest atom that God does not know about. All of it controlled by God and, and all in the palm of his hand. And he's mighty enough to speak it into existence. He's also mighty enough to crush it all in his hand. That is who God is. However, that same God of the universe, he says, I am the Lord, thy God. The same providential God is also the personal God. He's the same God that knows every hair on our head. He's the same God that knows your name. He's the same God that called you by name out of the tomb to be raised to newness of life as, he, as Jesus does with Lazarus. He's the same God who personally desires that you would come to know him, that there would be a personal walk and relationship that we can fulfill what the scripture tells us, that we may now call him not as uh, just master, but Abba Father, that we can go to him, to the throne of grace at any moment, at any time. That is a personal relationship that no one else can even understand, right? To think that there are people in this world that don't know that providential and personal God should drive us to preach the, the gospel everywhere we go. Because we know that it, at the end of the night, when we go to rest our head on our pillows, is that the great thing that we rest our head on is knowing that God is sovereign over all things. And we know that God knows me. If everyone else abandons me, and look, Moses knew what it was like to be ridiculed and criticized. Moses' own friends and the closest of leaders that he had, who's supposed to be his allies, were some of his biggest critics at times. Moses, yet, though, knew God personally. That makes all the difference. It makes all the difference to walk through a wilderness into a promised land, knowing that God knows you, that he's walking with you through it, that he's leading you through it, he's providing for you through it, and that he is there in time of trouble, in time of need. That he doesn't just rule over all things, but he wants to know your heart and is ruling over your heart. That's what the law is supposed to do. It's supposed to bind us to God, not that we would, not that we would serve him out of, oh, I better do this, right? I, I got to go to church. No, we get to go to church, right? It's not, I got to do what God says. I get to do what God says. By his law, his grace, his goodness, by his mercy and word. Now, here's verse 7. This is, might be as far as we go. I don't know. We'll, we'll find out. I'm trying to watch the clock and also trying to watch myself on the TV back there. It's kind of a strange thing. <laughs> I don't know if I should wave to myself. Hi, Mom. Right? <laughs> Send that into America's Funny Home Videos. You guys can get some mission money off of that thing, right? <laughs> Verse number seven. This is important. This is the beginning and the retelling of the Ten Commandments. <clears throat> all right. Miss Cammie, do you know the Ten Commandments? Can you recite them all for me? I'm not going to make you do that. <laughs> now, the Ten Commandments. They used to be posted outside of city buildings, courthouses, schools. Children used to be able to recite them. Right, Cammie? Right? Yes, see? Used to know songs about them. Used to know how they worked and operated. Used to even obey them. Not anymore. Moses gets back to this. And I want to understand the broad scope because 
unless I come and do Sunday school for like another nine weeks, we're not going to get through the other, <laughs> the other uh, commandments. But the first commandment sets up the rest of them. Really, if God only gave this one command, he would have given them all. He says, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And he stops. That's rule number one. If we look in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, one rule, thou shalt not eat of the bad tree. What they do? Eat of the bad tree. Can we keep just this one commandment? If he gave just this one commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me, could we keep it? No, not a bit. As a matter of fact, James goes on to also tell us that if you've broken one law, you've broken all of the laws. We are lawbreakers. What the word sin means is lawlessness itself. It is going out here, and if you see the speed limit sign, it says 55, and you drive 55 and a half, you broke the law, right? Technically, right? Now, most of us are probably going to go out here and do that to try to beat the Methodist to get some chicken for, for lunch. We're going to drive as fast as we got to get to the restaurant. We're going to go, but we know we're breaking the law, aren't we? God's law, those who are in Christ, we have the indwelling Holy Spirit. Once you know that there's not a single time that I sin, that I probably don't know that I'm willfully, woefully running towards sin and far from God. For us to choose sin is us to make an idol, for us to forsake God. For us to choose sin is to say that God is not God. We don't understand the idolatry and the blasphemy that sin really is at its root core. And that's what our flesh is full of. That's what the world needs to know. But that same God that they blaspheme is also the same God that would redeem them if they would come to him by faith. Now, this is important. The Ten Commandments are split up. Commandments 1 to 4, I call vertical commandments. These are what are dealing specifically with our relationship to God. Then uh, commands 5 through 10 are the horizontal. This is the outward stuff. This is what's happening from person to person, how we interact with people, how we live amongst people, uh, from our household to our neighbor, okay? Now, how are we going to be good neighbors, and how are we going to take care of the horizontal stuff? How are we going to make sure that we won't steal, cheat, lie, and all that stuff, right? It's going to start with the first four commandments. If we get command number one wrong, we will get the rest of them wrong. This is the basis and the foundation of everything. Because to stray from, from command number one, thou shalt have no other gods before me, does this. It sets yourself up as an idol, an idolater, a blasphemer. Idolatry and blasphemy always end up in what? Worse and worse sin. There is a progression that Israel would go through. What would happen is that they would start off slow. They would yoke up with unbelievers. Then soon they would start to tolerate the belief of the unbelievers, and they would start to practice that of the unbelievers. Israel would go so far in this breaking of command number one that at one point in time in Israel's history, they'd be willing to take up their babies alive and chuck them into a fire. We say, how could they do that? Because they had forgotten who their God was. We say, how could we do that? Well, none of us have maybe done that today. I get that, but every single one of us in here today, and especially this preacher, has had other gods, has had idols in the heart. Idols of the mind, idols of the flesh. An idol and having another God before God is the first and truly the, the great command. Because the moment that we do that, we forget what verse 6 has already told us. Where he says, I am the Lord thy God. The Lord and God, we refer to God as God, Lord, Father, Heavenly Father, all these different things. 
each one, though, has, has a deep meaning. And when the Old Testament gives us Lord the God or Lord thy God, it is showing that he is the omnipotent, all, he's the all-knowing, all-present, all-powerful God. He is the all-sovereign, all-controlling, King of kings and Lord of lords, ruling and reigning over all of time and all of eternity. Not only that, but then God showing uh, who his person is, all of his character, all of his attributes, all of his grace and his goodness and his mercy, his holiness, his justice, even his wrath and anger. That's who God is. What happens is we start to have other gods before him the moment that we get our eyes off of him. Now, I want to take you back, and just for sake of time today, I'm not going to go back and read the whole passage, but if you go back in the book of Exodus, and you see where God was first giving the law. Moses is up on the mountain, right? He's up here. I'm at, this is a mountain right here. When I do that, that's a mountain, okay? You see it? Sorry. <laughs> yeah. All right, so here's the mountain. Here's Mount Sinai. Moses is up here. This whole mountain is covered top to bottom, all the way around this thing of smoke, fire, a cloud of glory. Not just glory. When you say and talk about God's glory, what does that mean? It means all of who God is. He is literally sat down upon this mountain. And it says, and he had just said, that the children of Israel were afraid by reason of the fire. So there's the mountain over there. Y'all still see it? Here's Israel. Uh, right, scared to death. Knees are shaking. Right? They look at it, and they, even probably most of them, would fall on their face before this mountain in terror because they realize that is the same God that brought forth the, uh, the ten plagues and delivered them from Egypt and parted the waters of the Red Sea and has now brought them here. And now he's showing them all of who he is, all of his goodness, all of his holiness, and it scares them to truly know who and all of God is. Now, in that, though, Matt, y'all still see that mountain? That mountain, absolutely terrifying to these people down here, and yet somehow, because Moses is up on that mountain for for a little bit of time. God is up there doing business and giving him the law. He's there and preparing him for what's to come and giving him and establishing these covenants and this law and his word for you and I to have and for those people down the mountain to have. And it's important today, too, for a, a big reason. The reformers called it sola scriptura, meaning scripture alone, the all-sufficient scripture that is perfect and fallible and errant and sufficient for all of our needs. This Bible, the same Bible that I've got in front of me, same Bible you got in front of you, it is the perfect word of God that we need. The moment that we leave its boundaries is the moment that we fall into breaking command, number one, and committing idolatry. So what had happened is the children of Israel down here, they see the mountain, they're scared to death. But soon they grow accustomed to it while Moses is up on the mountain. And it's a very easy thing to get accustomed to the presence of, of, of God over there, right? You go, well, this is what we do every Sunday. Right? This is what we do every time we meet on Tuesdays for a Bible study, right? This is what I do every time we pray or gather or whatever we might do. Right? It just, it just kind of happens, you know. They begin going through the motions. And after a while, looking at the mountain doesn't bother them as much. Not nearly as afraid. They go, well, the mountain hasn't killed us yet, so we must be okay. What happens is after a short little while, they gather together and they forget all about God who was on the mountain. And they melt down their rings, all of their golden earrings and bracelets, which they, which by the way, God, that same God who's up on that mountain over here, remember the mountains over here, 
God, that same God, is the one that delivered them out of Egypt with more animals and more jewelry and more goods and more people than they had when they went into Egypt some 400 years earlier. And he pulls them out, and they take those same things that God had given to them, and they melt them down into a golden calf. Now, I don't know if you know this, but if anybody's ever made a mold, or even if you've ever played with Play-Doh, right? If you've either played with Play-Doh, ate Play-Doh, touched Play-Doh, you know Play-Doh is something that you take and you mold. You make it and you shape it into something. To get a golden calf out of liquid gold means you made a mold of a calf. Their hearts had sought to please God, but instead they missed looking at God and who he was and all of his glory and all of the awe and awesomeness that truly God is. Instead, they want something that they can touch. And that's why God says, I shall have no other gods before me. And the very next commandment is, thou shalt not make thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the waters beneath the earth. If I were to have here today, right, y'all still see that mountain and all of God's glory. And then I had a small golden calf right here. Which one is worth looking at? Well, some might say the gold. But if we got just a momentary glimpse of all of who God is, we couldn't take our eyes off of it. What has happened to the church and what has happened to Israel throughout their history, what would happen to them throughout their history, is they would fall into idolatry, they would fall into these commands and breaking them because their eyes would leave God in his glory, all of who he is. The moment that I fall into sin is the moment that everything else becomes bigger than God. And is there anything bigger than God? Of course not. Is there anything bigger than the one who holds the waters and measures them out? Is there anyone bigger, anything bigger than someone who is literally holding the expanse of the universe, who has numbered the stars and the galaxies, which, by the way, are at this point in time, scientists have tried to number them. You can't. On a, on a dark night, go on out and try to count them. We can't. We can't even count the stars by hand uh, and, and even in our mind about what's just in our own galaxy, let alone the tens of millions and billions of galaxies that are also out there. And somehow the God that holds all those things and spoke all those things into motion and into order, and out of all of those things, placed earth right where it's supposed to be, hung it right where it's supposed to be, tilted it right where it's supposed to be tilted, spun that thing, and holds us and gives us every breath in our lungs. Somehow, the golden calf is better than, than that. The reason why God gives these commands is because he also knows the heart of man. God gives these commands to his people because he knows that even though he is on a mountain showing all of who he is, that if they get their eyes off of him for just a moment, idolatry. Idolatry will lead to another eye, and that's immorality. It's always there. Before there's immorality taking place with your hands or your eyes or your feet running off somewhere or not supposed to go, it's because your mind and your heart has already wandered from God. As he continues in verse number nine, he says, thou shalt not bow down thyself unto them. Here, 
a few days before they're bowing down before the mountain. Now they're bowing down before a golden calf. He says, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. People say, well, hold up. God's perfect, and jealousy is bad. So does, is God doing something wrong? No. Let me ask you this. If you're married today, or if you love anybody today, which hopefully you love somebody today, if not, pick me, right? Love somebody. Pick, pick somebody that you love that you know, especially for a spouse. And you go, would you be jealous over them if they were with the opposite sex doing things they're not supposed to? Of course. You'd be jealous, even wrathful and angry. Would it be just? Yeah. Now, that's just on our human level. Now, I want you to imagine, once again, that same God who had spoke all these things, spoken and hung the galaxies and spun the world, and has given every single breath to those people who are now dancing around a golden calf while you're up here consuming this mountain, giving them the law that they need to follow you, and they're already breaking commands 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10. Would you be jealous? He's jealous over us. Why? Because he has a holy love. All of God's character and all of God's riches of who he is, all of his attributes, he's never just one at a time. He's all of them all at once. For you and I, when we're angry, we're only angry, right? When we're loving, we're loving, right? When we're wrathful, we're only wrathful. God does all these in a perfect way. And by his perfect love is trying to redeem these people and trying to give them something that they can know him and and live for him. It is for their good and his glory the same way that everything in our life is. For our good and his glory. However, we go, well, not everything works out for our good. From our perspective, but we don't see from the heavenly perspective, do we? We don't see from the, the eyes of God because he does things his way because he alone is God. Continuing in verse number 9, the Lord says, Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. But look at verse number 10. There's a a, a stark contrast here. And showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Mercy is something that is, mercy and grace work together. Grace is a gift that is not deserved, and mercy is a withholding of something that is deserved. What the people in the bottom of the mountain, his own people that he had called and saved and redeemed out of Egypt, what they deserved was to be consumed by his holy fire. Instead, his mercy is poured out. What Pastor Joe deserves every morning that he wakes up is a holy fire to be poured out upon him for all of eternity. But instead, what I receive morning by morning, his mercies I see. His mercies are new every morning. As we look at the Ten Commandments, as we look at the law of God, as we look at his word, I want you to understand that in it, God is not giving it to us so that we would be so restricted, but rather that we would be free to live in him. He gives us the parameters. He says, you want to follow me? You want to live a life? Because really, all of Deuteronomy works this way. He says to his children, If you desire to be blessed, if you do this, then this will happen, right? If you break these commands, then there will be consequences. But if you follow these commands, there will be blessings. And so it begins and continue the ups and the downs of the nation of Israel. And so begins and continues the ups and downs 
of my life and yours. As you all know, there's another eight commandments. But these build all upon one another. But we will not be able to take care of everything else on the outside that we so desperately love, like our homes and our families and our neighbors and changing a community unless we first have our hearts changed by knowing God. Unless we first have these vertical commands of trusting the Lord and loving him with our whole heart, our whole mind, our whole soul, all of our strength, everything that's within us. And how will we love a community that needs to know that same God? It's my prayer that wherever there are believers today, that we would get a hold of who God is, and that he would get a hold of us, that we might be used for him to share his word, and that we would be changed by this word, to not just hear what God has to say, but to do what he commands. I'm going to pray for us. We'll close in a Sunday school, and I don't know how you normally do things, but we'll just take a pause for the calls and, and uh, get ready for uh, the uh, 1030 service. Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for the study of your word. Lord, that as we see just these first couple of commands, we see how far that we fail. We see how far your people have fallen. But Lord, we also see that your mercy is extended to those who come to you. And Lord, I pray that we would all now, and first and foremost, Lord, that I would come to you this morning and receive and taste of your mercy and your goodness. Lord, I pray, God, that you would help us to follow your law and your word, or that we might know you, that we might be used by you and for you. And God, that today that you would show us your glory and show us your goodness and your faithfulness to us, that we might worship you today, we might have our hearts and our minds changed for you, that as we go from this place today, that we would be of service for you and your kingdom. We love you. We thank you now for this time and prepare our hearts for what's to come today. Lord, that we would focus everything on you and your word and your work for us. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks.